I want to let you know that obviously you all know this, that this is Memorial Day weekend. And when I think about Memorial Day, I went back and done a little research on that and the history of what Memorial Day is all about. And each May, the United States of America celebrates a day called Memorial Day. And uh, we have to ask ourselves, many people don't know the meaning of Memorial Day and what it's all about. But Memorial Day was first widely observed in May of 1868. The celebration commemorated the sacrifices of the Civil War and the proclamation was made by General John A. Logan. Following the proclamation, participants decorated the graves of more than 20,000 Union and Confederate soldiers. And in years since, since World War I, the day has become a celebration of honor for those who died in all of America's wars, as well as those who are veterans and are currently serving in the as members of the U.S. military. In in 1971, Memorial Day was declared a national holiday, and the United States celebrates this holiday the last of May each and every month. Now, when we think about that, it does us well to stop at different times along the journey of life and to pay tribute by remembering those people that have given their lives and paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we as Americans could be free in this great country. And ladies and gentlemen, I still believe that the United States of America is the greatest country on planet earth and I thank God for those men and women that have given their life to make it possible for us to be able to be in the house of God today and for us to live in freedom in this great land. So today I celebrate those that have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom by giving their lives on foreign battlefields so that we could come together today and celebrate this very special weekend. So guys, I want to say thank God for those that did that. And also, if you're here and you've served in the military in times past or you're actively involved in serving in the military today, would you do us the honor by standing in this building and let us just honor you today? So if you're a part of the military, you're a veteran, you've served, you've given your life away, we want to honor you today. So guys, let's give them praise today and honor them. Thank you. Thank you so much. Come on, everybody. Let's let them know we appreciate them today. God is good. Can I get an amen? These are the men and women that make it possible, guys. And we thank you for that, and we honor you for that. But I want to come before you today and say thank God for those that in times past have paid the ultimate price by giving their life. And I know that around the country today, there are a lot of people that, that, that remember the lives of those that were given on the foreign battlefield to serve so that we could be free. But ladies and gentlemen, not only do we need to recognize that we're free as a country, but the Bible says whom the sun sets free. He is free indeed. So I have to stand before you today behind this sacred desk and say that I thank God today for my commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, who paid the ultimate sacrifice on the cross of Calvary so that I could be free. Anybody joined would be in that, that Jesus Christ paid the price, and I thank God for that today. So not only do we have the present uh, the present position of being a freedom or freedom in America. But guys, I thank God today that Jesus Christ is able to set us free and whom the Son sets free, he is what? Free indeed. So I have to thought, I thought about Memorial Day and it's not only remembering those that have paid their, the price for our freedom as we look back upon the history of our country, but I also have to think about those that are my spiritual life, as I remember back, I was saved at the age of 12 years old in 1968. I was baptized at that time. I played many basketball games around the church. I was a member of the RA group. I remember the RA pledge and the RA motto. I played softball games around the church. I caught all kind of footballs in the cow pasture behind our little country church. I ate many meals in the pastorium. I got in trouble often in the church. I, my mama would beat me down because of that. My wedding uh, was in the church 
church in uh, 1974, 44 years ago. In 1979, our first daughter was born, and she went to church nine months before she was born in this world. And, and, and in 1982, our second daughter was born, and she was involved in the church. On January the 25th of 1981, I was ordained as a deacon in the church. I spoke to my first group ever in my life, not as a pastor, but as a lay person. I spoke at a brotherhood breakfast for a group of men right after I was ordained as a deacon. I preached my first sermon on June the 17th in 1981, and after that I was licensed into the gospel ministry. On September the 12th, 1982, I was ordained as a pastor in my first church, and now for over 36 years I've had the privilege of being a pastor, and many souls have been saved and lives have been touched all because of what God has done in my life. I will forevermore be grateful as I remember those men and women that taught me in my Sunday school classes, those men and women that taught me in discipleship you, those men and women that coached my church softball team and my coach basketball team and took the time to take me camping as an RA who uh, served on, in vacation Bible school and put up with me when I was a little kid that, that taught me all this stuff, and I'm grateful for their investment in my life. I'm thankful for the energy and the care and the love that they deposited into my life. And every now and then, you need to go back in your life and thank God for those that have made a difference in your life. Can I get an amen? Whether it be the military that's given their life away or soldiers of the Lord that have served in teaching us along the journey of life, we need to go back and remember some things in our life. So today, as we come back together on this wonderful sacred Lord's Day and God began to deal with me about uh, the Memorial Day and remembering all those things. I want you to take your Bible today and open it up to the book of Genesis and we're going to be studying under the sermon title today Back to Bethel and, and the title is called The Call to Remember and to Return. Now before we get started today I want to tell you there's a lot of things that I'm going to invite you to write down in your notes today that's not going to be on the screen. But I want to start off by getting you to circle the word Bethel. The word Bethel means house of God. What does the word Bethel mean? Everybody tell me. House of God. That's what that word means. And when you think about that, oh, there's a time in our life where we need to remember the house of God. That, that needs to be important in our life. And when we think about this title, this message today, and you open your Bible to the book of Genesis, which we will get to in just a moment, it, it comes as no shock to all of you that when you open your Bible, the first book in the Bible is the book called Genesis. The, the book called Genesis is what's called as a book of beginnings. When you open your Bible to chapter 1, verse number 1 in the book of Genesis, you begin to realize that the Bible says, for God created the heavens and the earth. So thus we find out, according to the word of God, that heaven and earth was created by God. It did not just evolve. It did not just happen. We have a God that created everything. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that God created man after his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. God said, let us make man in our own image. And thus we find the introduction to who we are as human beings. When you look there in the book of Genesis, you begin to realize that God has given us a written account of the beginning of creation. Therefore, we realize that the earth did not just happen, but God created the earth. The heavens did not just happen, but God created the heavens. Man and woman didn't just happen, God created us that way. So we begin to realize that as God, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins to reveal to us an unparalleled truth that shall never more change, we need to remember that we came from a sovereign God. We didn't just evolve from animals. We didn't come from germs. We didn't fall from the sky. But the handiwork of God created us in our mother's womb. We realize that God gave us a point of origin. That is a point of beginning. As we begin to study the book of Genesis and we open our mind up to begin to really transfer our thoughts into this process we find that God introduced to us an incredible thought, and that is the thought of the Abrahamic covenant. 
The Bible tells us that Abrahamic covenant was a promise that God gave to Abraham. That he was going to bless the nations of the world through the loins of Abraham. And God had ministered the, the blessings of himself through Abraham. The Bible tells us that we are the recipients of that promise, that covenant called the Abrahamic covenant. Remember what I'm about to tell you. The only blood covenant in the Bible is the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is that which introduces us to the promises and the blessings of God. So we realize that the book of Genesis gives us the record of so many beginnings in our life. And when we think about that book, I'm interested in looking and understanding that it speaks directly into our thought today, a point of remembering. It starts with the story of Jacob. Jacob was Abraham's grandson. You remember that when we study our Bible, we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when we look at Jacob, Jacob was Abraham's grandson who had the responsibility to preserve the covenant promise of God. So we realize then that when we open our Bible, it's an interesting thought as we begin to journey through this that Jacob, being Abraham's grandson, found himself in a place out of fellowship with God. Are you listening to me today? Say amen. That is, Jacob, who was one of our patriarchs of faith, found himself distant from God. That is, he had been given the incredible assignment to preserve the promise of God and preserve the holiness of God in the midst of an immoral and lawless society. And the nation of Israel was given an incredible promise and a blessing that the, God was going to bless all the nations of the world through, through the Abrahamic covenant. And so now we have the responsibility that's given to Jacob. And this responsibility is given to him. Whatever you do, preserve the covenant promise. Preserve the holiness of God. Don't let anything interrupt that. All of a sudden we find Jacob... He gets away from God and, and all of a sudden where he started, begin to, he began to get cold and calloused in his walk with God. And we find that the introduction to Jacob that's given this promise is found in Genesis chapter 28. Are you listening? Say amen. All right, now pay attention to me. I got to teach you this. You got to get this. Jacob is told to go to a place that God's going to speak to him. Have you ever been at that place God spoke to you? And the Bible tells us that God tells Jacob, I want you to go to this place and remember what I'm about to tell you because I'm going to test you on this. If you don't pass this test, I'm going to preach forever. So guys, you got, you got to pass this test, okay? So, so he takes him to this place, and, and are you listening? The place is called the city of Luz, L-U-Z. Now, now we'll look at this in a moment. The place is called the city of Luz, and the, the word Luz means hard place, hard place. Have you ever been in a hard place in your life? And so God takes, takes Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, which we'll look at, and he, he tells him, I want you to, you've got a responsibility, Jacob. You're, 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 you're a man of covenant. You, you have a spiritual life. You have a spiritual heritage. And he finds himself in a place called Luz. And that's a hard place. And God says, at this place, I want you to change the name of this place. It's not going to be called Luz anymore. So I'm going to get you out of your hard place. And I want you to change the name of this place. It's not going to be called Luz anymore, but it's going to be called Bethel. I'm going to turn your hard place into God's place. I'm going to turn your difficulty into a blessing. I'm going to change you from who, who you was to who I want you to be. And I want you to change this name from Luz, the hard place, to Bethel. Your, your hard place is going to be called the house of God. Can I get an amen? And so in Genesis chapter 28, we find God working with him, working with him and saying, Jacob, you, can, you found me. I found you in a hard place. Does anybody here know about that hard place? Is there anybody in this place today that can give testimony that God found you in a hard place? Can I get an amen? When everybody else gave up on you and everybody else walked away from you and everybody else turned their back on you and everybody else said it wasn't work, but God found you in that mess and turned it into a miracle. Can I get an amen? God knows how to do that. He found Jacob in that place, chapter 28 of the book of Genesis. 
We'll be looking in just a moment. We're going to take our major text out of Genesis chapter 35. Now look at me. Are you listening to me? Between chapter 28, from chapter 28 to chapter 35, 30 years passes. 30 years. He met God in chapter 28. God did a phenomenal work. 30 years goes by, and we're in Genesis 35. 30 years, 30 years from the time he first met God to where he was introduced to God. God moved on his life, found him in a hard place, found him in a mess, found him in a place that was difficult, changed his life. And 30 years later, God comes back and says, you know what? You've let the world get in your heart. You've let things creep in. You don't understand, son. You are one that I have chosen. I've chosen you as the lineage of your grandfather and your father. And you have a responsibility. And look at the mess I find you in. And I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me. There's a lot of you right here today that God found you in a hard place. God found you in a mess. And he did a miracle in your life. And God changed you and God rescued you from your mess. And God set a motion in you, a purpose in you, a plan in you. And, and now, the God that was supernatural to you, the God that changed your life, the God that made a difference for you, you've let him become common to you. And you know what? God is finding you now down the road and he's finding you in a place that you don't love him like you used to. And and only you're going to the church because it's a thing to do on your list and you've forgotten how to worship and you've forgotten how to have a fire for God and you've forgotten what this is all about and I'm going to tell you what you're doing. You're taking your God for granted and he's going to get your attention just like he did with Jacob. I see it all over America. I see it in churches that were once on fire for God. I see it where people were once anointed and churches were anointed. And all of a sudden now they become lukewarm and cold and calloused. And their God has taken the back seat on their heart. And for some reason, God has got you here today. So open your Bible to the book of Genesis. Are you with me? Say amen. Amen. God finds Jacob spiritually weak. Are you that way? God finds Jacob full of worldliness and pursuing pleasure, and he's out of fellowship with God. And I see that happening all over America. If there's ever been a time in our country that we need a God-sent, God-anointed revival... It's the day we live in today. If there's ever been a time that God needs to move, it's the day that we live in today. And I want you to open your Bible to the book of Genesis, chapter 35. The Bible says, And God said to Jacob, And God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel. Now listen carefully, and I'm going to make sure that you journey slowly with me today. I want you to underline the word up. Because God found Jacob away from him. And every time you get away from God, you are not promoted, but you are demoted. You're never in a place that your life is going up when you get away from God. When your heart becomes callous, then you begin to take God for granted. You're never going to be at, you're never going to be at a place where you're going up, you always go down. So obviously Jacob had fallen away from God. And when you fall away from God, you decline, you don't incline. When you fall away from God, you go to disadvantage rather than advantage. When you fall away from God, you get in a place that you are not going to be the recipient of promotion, but you find your place in a you find yourself in a place of demotion and the bible says that god said god said not his mama not his daddy not his uncle not his aunt not his grandfather but god said jacob you're going to have to arise and go up to bethel and dwell there underline that in your bible you are to dwell there you're going to have to put an anchor there oh to god how many people that i see that need to dwell in the house of god i am telling you today that i see churches 
all over America to where people are going to God and they're vacating their churches. We need to get to a place where we dwell in the presence of God. We need to make sure that we don't slip away, but rather we anchor ourselves in the presence of God. And the Bible says that when you go there, you build an altar there. That's what I want you to do. I want you to get back to building altars. You have forgotten in 30 years how to build an altar. You have forgotten what it's about to worship me. You have forgotten all that. You get up from where you are, you go back to Bethel, the house of God, and when you get there, you build an altar unto God because he appeared to you there when you fled from your, the face of Esau, your brother. Then Jacob sent unto his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you. Let's stop right there. Are you with me? Say amen. Who was responsible for Jacob's house? Jacob was. What did Jacob do? Jacob dropped his spiritual guard and started letting all the things of the world creep into his family, his wife, his kids, his family. And the Bible tells us that Jacob had to say to them, you got to put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress. Don't miss that. It was at the moment in chapter 28 when Jacob was in a mess, when his life was falling apart, that he got before God and God answered him in the day of his distress. 30 years later now, 30 years later, Jacob's going, we got to get back there. We got to get back to that place where God caught me. We got to get back to that place where God spoke to me. We got to get back. We got to get rid of all the strange gods in our house. We got to clean ourselves up. We got to get back to where we are supposed to be. We got to make sure that we go back to see the God that answered me when my life was falling apart. I met him back there, and I've got to get back to that place. Can I get an amen? And he said he was with me. He was with me. You remember when God was with you? Do you remember when you were walking close to God? Do you remember when you met God and he radically changed your life? And Jacob's going, I've got to get back there. And they gave to Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings that were in their ear. In that day, pagan people that worshiped pagan gods wore earrings. And Jacob's going, give me those earrings. Now watch me. Don't leave here today and say, Brother Jackie told me I was worshiping a pagan god because I got earrings on. Look, I'm not against earrings, but I'm just telling you historically that women that wore the earrings back in that time, it was an indication of culture that you were worshiping a false god. And Jacob said, give me those earrings and all that stuff that, that has taken us away from God. And Jacob hid them under the oak by, which was by Shechem. What he did, and they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And so Jacob came to where everybody was. What does Luz mean, everybody? Uh, he went back there, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. Underline that Luz in your Bible. It's powerful. When we think about this, God sometimes calls you back. Sometimes God says, I'm, you're not okay where you are. You're not, you're not okay with me where you are. Sometimes we can advance in our careers, in our successes, in our families, in our stuff, in our things. But at the same time, in our advancement, we leave God out of our heart. And so the first thing that we need to understand today is going back to Bethel is a time of reflection. It's a time of reflection. Now, in order to understand that, you got to look at Genesis chapter 35 and verse number 1. And God said to Jacob, everybody read that with me, what? God said to Jacob. How many of y'all know that when God speaks, you don't have to pray about it? As the people go, well, God told me to do this, I'm going to pray about it. Watch me, when God tells you, you don't have to pray, just do it. Can I get an amen? amen. It's amazing to me how we spiritualize our disobedience. How we go, God's talking, God's moving, and I see it all the time, guys. I preach from this pulpit, people go, oh my gosh, Brother Jacob, God is here. There, there's something spiritual about this place, and God was dealing with me, but, but man, I got to go pray about it. Are you kidding me? God said to Jacob, arise and go to Bethel. 
Why does he want him to do that? Why does he want him to go to back to Bethel? Why does God say, rather than, rather than me promote you to the blessing I'm going to give you, rather than me advance you, before I can bless you, I got to get you to go back. Before I can promote you, I got to get you to stop a minute. Before I can send increase into your life, you're going to have to go back where you started, boy. If you'll notice there, there's three things about it. First of all, he tells him to go back to a certain place. He tells him to go back to a certain place. You go back to where you built your first altar. You go back. You go back to that certain place. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. What certain place? Let's go back to Genesis. Open your Bible to Genesis. Genesis chapter 28 and verse number 10. What, what place is this? It's a certain place. And Jacob went from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon, somebody tell me, a certain place. Underline that in your Bible. There was a certain place that, that for some reason, God showed up. There was a certain place where God intervened in his mess. There was a certain place, and the Bible says he tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillow and lay down in that place to sleep. Before that place, are you listening? He couldn't sleep. He couldn't rest. His brother Esau was pursuing him with this, with this indictment against him. I'm going to kill you when I see you. There, there was no place of rest. There was no place of, of sanity for him. His mind was running crazy. There was all kinds of challenges that he was experiencing. And all of a sudden, along the journey of, of this place, he stops. And God gives him peace. You remember when you were like that? When, when your life was spiraling out of control? Do you, do you remember when you thought, man, I can't even think straight? I, I'm a mess. And God brought you to a certain place and let you lay down and rest and sleep. You see, there's a time that you've got to reflect back, and that's what God is saying to Jacob. Jacob, go back to that place where you met me when you was in a mess. And I met you there, and I gave you some rest. And not only did we find a certain place, but it was at this place that Jacob made a covenant with God. It was at that place that, that not only did Jacob make a covenant, but God made a covenant with him. And I want you to notice in Genesis chapter 20, 28, and verse number 12, are you there? And he dreamed of behold a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached into heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest. To thee will I give it to you and your seed. And, and your seed shall be as the dust of the earth and thou shalt spread abroad the west and the east and the north and the south. And in you, my friend, and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am, somebody tell me this, I am with you. And I will keep you in all the places where you go. And I will bring you again in this land for you. I will not leave you until I've done that which I've spoken of. Isn't that a good God, y'all? That finds us and says to us, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And by the way, God always keeps his end of the bargain. You may walk away, but God will never walk away. And he says, I'm going to be with you every day of your life. And I will not leave you. And I'm not going to forsake you. I might have to whip your bottom every now and then. But I am not going to, I'm not going to, you're not going to get away from me. And you know what? Look at Brother Jake. There are some of you that your hearts may have drifted from God, but God's never drifted from you. 
You, you may have got away from him, but he's never got away from you. And my friend, if you belong to him, he's going to keep his covenant with you. And he will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. He might have to discipline you all the way back to where you started, but God knows how to do that too. Can I get an amen? He knows how to make sure he'll get you where you need to be. So, so the Bible tells us that God made a covenant with him. That covenant is you're going to be mine. But not only that, there was a place of commitment at this place. This place that, that, that God, that Jacob found God, there was a place of commitment. And if you'll look at verse number 16, and Jacob awakened out of his sleep and he said, come on, help me, y'all. Surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. It's amazing to me that when I read that scripture immediately, my mind goes to how many people have walked down the aisle of this church and how many people have said, oh, Brother Jackie, I came here. I didn't know why I was coming. Somebody invited me, but when I showed up, the Lord was in this place. And he was afraid, and he said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but, come on, help me, y'all, the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob arose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. You know what that means, y'all? It means that he set up an altar, and that altar was anointed by the oil. The oil always represents the anointing. The Bible says he called the name of that place, come on now, Bethel. What does that mean, everybody? House of God. But the name of the city was called Luz at the first. What, what, is, what does that mean? It means that right there in the middle of a hard city, God set up a house of God. Right in the middle of a hard place, God set up a house of God. Right in the middle of your mess, right in the middle of your hard times, God knows how to set up his place. His place. People go, Brother Jackie, don't you know the world's gone crazy? Don't you know that our culture has changed? Let me make an announcement to all of y'all. It's true, our world has gone crazy and our culture has gone away from God. But in the middle of this mess, there is always going to be a house of God. Amen. God says, I'm going to put a place here where you will always remember that no matter how hard it gets, there will be a place of refuge for you. No matter how tough life gets, you run back to Bethel. No matter how hard it gets. You know what I see people do? They run away from God rather than run to God. The Bible says Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God be with me and he will keep me wherever I go in this way that I go, I will give him, and he will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I might come again in my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. You know how many people I've saw say that? That have run down the altars of our church saying, God, if you'll get me out of this mess, I'll serve you. God, if you'll get me, we got over 2,000 members of our church that's walked down the aisles of these churches that have said those words to God. God, if you'll get me out of this mess, if you'll get me out of this mess, God, if you'll help me, I will promise you, look at Brother Jackie, it is a dangerous thing to make a vow to God and not keep it. This is not a game. This is serious business. Do you know what Jacob committed to God? Write this down. It's not on your notes, but you need to write this down. You know what kind of commitment Jacob made to God? The first commitment, not on your notes, but write this down. The first commitment that Jacob made, not on your notes, write it down. Jacob made this commitment, I will choose God. I'm going to make a commitment to choose God. You know, when you make that commitment, God takes that seriously. So Jacob made a commitment, I will choose you, God. But you know what the second commitment he made? Watch this. Not only will I choose you, God, I will worship you. I will worship you. In our church's day, people have forgotten how to worship God. They've made it about them rather than God. 
It's about our preference rather than God. It's about our, 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 our taste rather than God. You can't do that. You've got to get to the place where you worship God. So Jacob made a commitment. God, I will choose you as my God. I will worship you. Watch this. You're not going to like this one, but I'm going to tell you what he made. Watch this. He made a commitment. I will tithe. I'm going to worship, I'm going to choose you as my God. I'm going to worship you and I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give back to you, God. I promise you that. How many people have made that commitment? Oh, God, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to choose you. And God, if you'll get me out of this mess, I will, I will, I will, I will do this for you. And the Bible tells us, are you listening to me? When he made that commitment, he built an altar. You know what needs to happen in our churches today? We need altars. We need men and women coming back to the altar, getting right with God, weeping before the Lord with broken hearts. Ladies and gentlemen, what's happening in our world today, we're taking the altars out of our church. Oh, to God that we would put the altars back in the church. People say, Brother Jackie, people don't like that. Listen. I'm telling you, we need altars in our churches where people run to be broken before the Lord. And he made a commitment at the altar from his heart. God says, Jacob, I want you to go back to that place. I want you to go back to that place where I made a covenant with you and you made a commitment to me. I want you to go back there. Now, going back to Bethel is a time of returning. You, you got to return. 30 years have passed. From Genesis chapter 28 to Genesis chapter 35, how many years have passed? 30 years. So now Jacob is 30 years older. 30 years has passed since he made that commitment to God, since he said, God, I'm going to choose you, and God, I'm going to worship you, and God, I'm going to commit to you. 30 years has passed. And Jacob had backslidden. Worldliness had crept in. Busyness had captured his time. And waywardness and worshiping idols had happened. And then you find that, that returning back to Bethel, there are three things you need to write down. First of all, it's a call of clarity. A call of clarity. There's no question at all what God wanted from Jacob. There's no question at all. He didn't have to get interpretation of this. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 35 and verse number 1a, and God said to, somebody tell me, Jacob, arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there. I want you to rise and go back to Bethel. That's what I want you to do. There is no questioning what God wanted him to do. God said it. Listen to me. When you're listening to God, what is God telling you? What is God saying to you? What does God want you to do? What is God's spirit saying to you? The Bible says that there is clarity in this, and God said. You don't have to pray about that. You don't have to, you don't have to meditate on that. You just need to obey that. What's God telling you? Outside of clarity, there's another thing, and that is a call to commitment. And when you look in your Bible, that call to commitment is defined in Genesis chapter 35 and verse number 1. I want you to rise and go up to Bethel and dwell there and do what, everybody? Make there an altar. You, you, people would say, Brother Jackie's already did that 30 years ago. You know what God is saying? You go back and renew your commitment to me at that altar. That's what you need to do, young man. You may have built an altar 30 years ago, but that altar that you built has been, has been, has been destroyed. It's grown up with weeds. You haven't used it. Your heart is callous. Worldliness has crept in. You need to go back and build that altar. Watch this. The next part of that verse says, a call of cleansing. He's got he's to cleanse himself. He's got to get back where he's supposed to be with God. And if you'll notice in, in verse, number, verse number one, there in that commitment, in verse number one, it tells us how to make that commitment. Build the altar and then the cleansing. Are you there in verse number two? Then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, somebody read this with me. 
Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. What's he saying? He's saying, man, you got to clean out your heart. You got to get rid of all the stuff in you. Verse number three says, and let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way I went. You remember when God was with you? Do you remember when you felt close to God? The Bible says they gave to Jacob all the strange gods who were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears and Jacob hid them under the oak. What does that mean? It means he buried his junk. He, 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 he killed everything that was hindering between him and God. Let me ask you a question. Do you have something in your life you need to bury today? Do you have something that you need to dig a hole and put underground to say, God, this thing is hindering me so bad, I need to dig a hole and bury it under a tree somewhere. By the way, I like that Jacob said he hid it under an oak, under a tree. Because my friend, when you put your junk under the blood of Jesus at an old rugged cross, he'll get rid of all that stuff for you. You got to dig a hole and get rid of your junk, man. What is it that's hindering you and God? What is it that's standing in your way? What do you need to get rid of? What do you need to take off? What do you need to clean your house out of? What do you need to, what's, what is it? that's causing you to drift. They journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about. You know what that means? It means they got their testimony back. It means that all of a sudden, his people got, got, got their testimony where it ought to be and they didn't pursue the sons of Jacob. Why? Because they saw their hearts turning back to God. And they knew that if their hearts turned back to God, that God was going to be with them. The Bible tells us in the next verse there, it says they did not pursue. They didn't pursue Jacob, the sons of Jacob. Why? Because they just went in the city and killed everybody there and they were scared to death. But God was with them. Don't you want God with you? Going back to Bethel is a time of repentance. Going back to Bethel is a time of repentance. Are you listening? So Jacob came to, somebody help me, Luz, which means what? Which is in the land of Canaan. That is, say that name, Bethel. And he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel because God appeared to him there when he fled from the face of his brother. Now, are you listening? So many times when you read your Bible, you can miss it. Bethel means what? House of God. Isn't it amazing that what God said to him was, you go back to that place where you found me and you dedicated that altar to me and you called it Bethel in that hard place, but I want you to change the name this time. I want you to call it El Bethel. In other words, it's not the house of God no more. I want you to focus on the God of the house. I think in our churches today, that we pride ourselves in saying we went to the house of, of God. We even congratulate ourselves that we checked our list on Sunday that we showed up. I'm here to tell you today that God's not really impressed with that. See, when you, when you just call it Bethel, the house of God, I think in many cases we've made that about us rather than about him. God says to Jacob, you go back there, but this time 
It's not Bethel for you no more, my friend. This time, it's El Bethel for you. When you go back there, it's not just the house of God no more. When you go back there, I want you to see the God of the house. I want you to see me again. And I think so many times what happens is we fail to see him. So many times we sit in a church like this, we listen to somebody preach and we close our Bible and we go home. We hadn't met God. 30 years, 30 years from the moment that Jacob had his encounter with God, God said, worldliness has got in your heart. You've been distracted. There's been things that have happened and your heart has become calloused and distracted from me. So when you go back there, son, you're not just going to another place. I want you to see the God of that place. It's El Bethel for you when you go back. Now, going back to Bethel is a time of renewal. And I like this. It's always a time of renewal. Are you with me? Verse number 9a says, And God appeared to him. Somebody tell me again. And God appeared to him again. You know, when you think about that, that returning, whenever you get away from God, you get distracted from him, and you may journey 30 years, you may journey 5 years, you may journey 10 years, you may be so busy with stuff and things or whatever, and God says, wait a minute, I'm going to interrupt your journey. You need to go back <clears throat> to, to that place, that lust, that, that hard place, go back there. And it's not always easy, but you have to go back there. And God says, when you get back there, that was called Luz, the hard place, and now you change it to Bethel, the house of God. But this time when you go back there, it's called El Bethel, the God of the house. And when you get back there and you get where you're supposed to be, I'll appear to you again. I will appear to you again. Then in verse number 14, something happens to him. He set up a pillar in that place. You know what that means? He went back to an altar where he talked to him. You, you remember, don't you? When you were at a place that you didn't know what you was going to do, and you ran down to an altar of a church, and God talked to you there. God is saying to Jacob, Jacob, you go back there where I appeared to you the first time. And you build, you go back to the altar. And when you get back to the altar, I'm going to talk to you. He'll set up a pillar of stone. And the Bible says he poured a drink offering thereon and poured oil. You know what that means? An anointing came back. There was an anointing that came back in his life that, that he had lost. There was, there was this freshness of God that reappeared to him in his spirit, man, that all of a sudden when he got back and, and, and he got back to that altar and he got back to that place and God started speaking to him again, there was a new anointing put on him. Oh, don't you want that? Don't you want that in your life? And there are men and women all over this building and those that are watching and those that are listening that you've lost the freshness of God that you once had on your life. The bottom line is powerful to me. You see, we started in Genesis and we end in Revelation. Revelation 2 
says, if you go back to that bottom line for just a moment, it says, is God calling you back to him? Is God calling you back to him? And in Revelation chapter 2, you find the scripture given and unto the church of the angel of, of unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand and he's walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your words. I know your labor. I know your patience. I know how you cannot bear them which are evil and you've tried them which say they are not apostles and they're not and you've found them liars. And you've borne and you've had patience. And for my name's sake, you have labored and have not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. You've left your first love. And he says, remember from where you've fallen and repent. Or else, and do the first words, or else... I will come to you quickly and I will remove the candlestick out of its place except you repent. You know what God is saying? I'm calling you back to an altar. And if you need to get back to this altar and connect with your first love, and if you refuse to do that, then my friend, I believe that God is saying, I'll take the anointing off of you. I'll take the freshness off of you. And what you will do is you will be living your Christian life in your energy and your efforts, but you won't have God and His blessings on your life. Let me ask you a question today. Do you need to come back to Him? Has your heart gotten cold and calloused? Have you left your first love? Have you got the world in your heart more than you've got God in your heart? Has the world distracted you from the things that God has for you? God cannot advance you until he gets you back where you need to be. So today, I want us to bow all over this church. Our ministers are going to come. And as I told the guys in the first service, I wouldn't even come to this altar if I was a counselor without my heart being right with God. But if you're here today and you're looking for a church home or you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we invite you to come. We want you to come to this altar. We want you to let these men know, hey, I want to make this decision today. I want to join the church. I want to give my heart to Jesus. And you know what? You can do that today. But some of you that are here just may need to come to this altar and fall on your face and go, God, I need to be back where I need to be. I need to get my life where it ought to be with you. God, I've been going through the motions, but I don't have any anointing. God, I've been going through the motions, but I don't have a freshness. God, I need to go back. I, I'm tired of just going to the house of God. God, I need to connect with the God of the house. So today, we're just going to sing a song, and as we stand together, if you need to come, you come. Don't let anybody hold you back. You just come as we sing together, Brother Randy.